You're listening to Rosie on the House. Should come on around back, Arizona. We've got John Eisenhower shimmying down out of the tree. We're talking trees today as it is the second Saturday of the month. It is the 8 o'clock hour. This is our outdoor living hour where we talk trees. If you want to join the conversation, visit with ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower about anything that's stumping you with your tree problem, it's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can send emails if you need to snap a picture and pass it along for plant or insect identification help. You can do that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. You can also text questions to 411-923. The text is during the broadcast only. Phone and email we answer during the week, but that text is uh, here local to our headquarters uh, flagship radio station and is good during the broadcast only. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Good. And you've brought us the Malus Domestica today as our featured tree of the month. Yeah, it sounds really sophisticated, doesn't it? It does. That's (laughs) that's an apple. (laughs) That's a domestic apple. Yeah, generally they'll um, refer to those uh, apples as Malus, and then they add the the variety after that. In this case, so who do you think named it the Malus? Was that Adam or Eve? (laughs) That'd be the genus. Yeah, that would be God. Yeah, the apples that do well in the low desert, primarily, are the Annas and the Dorsets. There's two varieties that are, are really suited for the low desert. Now, if you live at the higher elevations across the state of Arizona, you're going to have a lot, a, a lot broader variety because those um, other apples that uh, have higher chill hour requirements are going to be um, able to survive in your climate. Now, I've read a lot of different things on chill hours. Some say under 40, some say under 32, some say continuous, some well, say non-continuous. Just define a chill hour. Well, it's between 32 and 45 degrees. So you need to have a certain number of hours between that, that spread. It's, a, it's not a freeze. Below fr- 32 would be fr- freezing. And it's, a, it's just chill hours. It's cool hours between 32 and 45 degrees. So if it gets below 32, is that not considered a chill hour then? Yeah, no, it just doesn't require it to be that cold. Uh, here in Arizona, in the low desert, we have about 300 to 400 chill hours a year. So you have to have a, a tree variety that has low enough chill hour requirements. Because if it has a chill hour requirements of 500 or 600, we don't get that many hours. So you'll have a, you might have a tree that will survive, but it won't bear fruit. So you want to be sure if you want it to have a successful apple tree in the low desert communities of Tucson or, or, or Phoenix and, or, or any other communities in that elevation, look for the Anna or the Dorset. They are w- very adaptable to this area, and they're very fruitful. And what we do with our Annas, because I, I like a pink lady apple, mm-hmm. if I'm gonna, or a delicious red, which we obviously those chill hours are way beyond our mm-hmm. desert. Your reach, yeah. But... The horses love the Anna apples. That we, when we're thinning our apples, sure. we'll take a bucket, fill it up, and then <laughs> sprinkle them on because you've got to thin your apples to get a good size one. You do. And then when we do get our big Anna apples, they are oh, they're decent to eat. They're not like a, a delicious red or pink lady, but I tell mm. you what, they are great baking apples. Yeah, they are. They're they're good for eating. They're a little crisp, a little bit tart sometimes, which is nice. A little tart. Yeah, well, you just got to let them stay on the tree a little bit longer. That'll they'll sweeten up the longer you can keep them on the tree. 
And as far as the, the thinning is required, it's not just for the uh, for the sizing of the fruit to improve the size. It's also to prevent breakage. We, you know, if you, you let those, uh, if you do no thinning at all, those branches will get so heavy, you'll definitely get uh, branches busting off under the weight. Ideal spacing is about four inches between pieces of fruit. So at the end of a limb where you'll get a cluster of, you know, anywhere from three to six or seven, I think mm-hmm. I even counted eight one time, yeah. you take that all the way down to one. Yeah, yeah, in that, in that location. You could probably put two on there, and it's not going to hurt. If you if you have a very small tree and it's pretty sparse, and uh, you might want to leave uh, those little clusters of two because, you know, otherwise you're going to have a you know, very uh, small crop. But yeah, it can usually sustain a couple of, of, of fruits at that one location. But ideally, if you can get a four-inch spread between your, your uh, fruits, that's uh, a good spacing. And if you can do the thinning early on, too, when the fruit is very, very small, don't wait till the fruit is real big because you can sometimes damage that point of attachment by thinning out fruit with these, these heavy clusters of four or five fruits. They're all mashed together, and you're trying to break, break them apart to get them, uh, get them thinned out. It's easier to do that when they're smaller, and you can pluck them off when they're golf ball size or smaller. And you had mentioned the golden door set. I think that one's a little bit more enjoyable to eat raw off a tree. Yeah, they're they're also uh, they also have lower chill hour requirements. Some of these two are self um, they're all self pollinating, um, but some help other trees pollinate. So if you can get a couple of different varieties in your yard, uh, you might enjoy that 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 variety and also get better uh, um, get better pollination. So a, 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 a better harvest um, just by a better pollination spread. Another tree that does really well that we um, purchased from Greg Peterson was the Einschimmer, which is another low chill hour requirement. Sounds German. It is. does very much so. It's E-I-N and capital S-H-E-M-E-R. And they're really well adapted to low, um, uh, low chill hour requirements and really adapted to our, our hot climate. All these trees enjoy a full sun, so keep them, you know, exposed to the sun. And, you know, we actually overplanted our yard. I've, I've told this story on air a couple of times. Uh, Greg uh, uh, was selling trees, and I bought 19, planted them all over our yard. We only have probably about 13 now uh, for, for various reasons, just thinning the trees themselves out because we are kind of overwhelmed. But we created a small um, little grove, and— uh, as a result of that, we have a lot of fruit. In fact, uh, we just got our first apricot yesterday. We saw it on the ground. There it was. The most of the tree, the fruits are still green and they're still sizing. But it's nice to know that we're at the beginning of the harvest, and many many of you are starting to see your peaches starting to size and your apples, and um, it's exciting. But what do you do when you have thirteen fruit trees? Well, we invested in a dehydrator. Mm. We had the little little plastic dome ones, you know, with the little the little plastic trays that stack on top of each other. We've had those for years, and they're nice for the occasional dehydration. But if you have a, a sizable amount of fruit, you might want to invest in a little bit better quality uh, dehydrator. We looked on on online, found one on Craigslist, and bought a really nice stainless steel one with ten racks, and uh, they probably cost three or four hundred bucks. I spent like one hundred and fifty uh, used, and it is amazing we've used it for three or four seasons now it is just allowing us to capture that harvest because we can't eat all that food we can't give all that fruit away sometimes and sometimes the harvest is so fast and furious with fruit ripening every day and falling on the ground you can hardly keep ahead of it 
But with a dehydrator, you can take that fruit, process it, uh, dry it, and then just we just dry this lot of fruit, fill up you know gallon uh, Ziploc bags, throw it in the freezer, and we've got dehydrated fruit for essentially the entire year. We're still eating our dehydrated fruit from last year. In fact, they just finished off our last bit of mangoes. Speaking of mangoes, we they don't grow real well here. Although there are many people who do uh, grow some tropical fruits like mangoes and papayas and and others, <coughs> guavas and loquats, uh, but you. We we usually buy ours um, at the farmers market, like um, market on the move, which is uh, going on uh, every Saturday morning from seven to ten. But when they have a a a, not, a lot of good fruit that we can purchase at these farmers markets or other places where you see you see their close out clearance um, um, fruits at, at your at your grocery store, bring them on home, buy them for five cents on the dollar, bring home twenty, thirty, forty pounds. And process them, put them in your dehydrator, and you've got dried fruit for the rest of the, the year. It's amazing. Just a little little uh, little tip. I want to mention fig trees. One one more comment about fig trees before we leave this wonderful subject of, of fruit. They're, and they're, it's not apparel related. No. Okay. <laughs> fruit, fig trees are amazing. We um, I just got a jar of fig jam from one of my customers. And it, 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 it's so it's they're they're one of those fruits that fruit trees in Arizona that grow beautifully here and they grow so easily. I have one of my customers who planted a few. He had a few little sprouts that came up. He said, can I just plant these sprouts? And I said, yeah, you can take those little those little cuttings at the base of your tree. And so he started putting them around his, his yard. And now he's got four or five really beautiful uh, fig trees that are now eight and ten feet tall. This is just a couple years ago. These trees are, are prolific um, growers, and they also produce a lot of fruit. If you like a good white or a black fig, you know, just uh, get a fig tree in the ground, and you'll be amazed how quickly you, they'll be bearing fruit. And they're just coming on right now, uh, and uh, should be ready to harvest within the next uh, month or so. You know what I have a hard time with mine is the amount of shoots that come up. Is that abnormal, or is that uh, just because it's a younger tree? And it seems like the younger ones have a lot more shoots than, yeah, than they, old trees in general. They're like a big shrub. They they send up a lot of sprouts. In fact, my tree is so old; it's it's probably 40, 50 years old. It's starting to some of the older growth is starting to to, to fall apart because the tree's so big and heavy. So I'm letting all the younger growth come up because one day that that will become the new crown. So yeah, let those sprouts come up. They're just photosynthesizing, you develop, you know, creating sugars and starches for the overall health of the plant. So if you can keep them on, they'll also shade the base of the tree from too much sun. Yeah. Now they're not the cleanest of plant to harvest. My uncle Bob actually has a fig fig harvesting outfit that he wears just for that because it <laughs> it is so sticky. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, you, you end up tromping over a lot of fruit that um, no doubt falls and. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's kind of messy, and also that the, adds to the fun, I think. The the leaves from fig trees are they 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 have a little hairs, very small little hairs on the leaves too, and you can have allergic reaction to those if you're not careful. And they produce a little milk from the the, the leaves as well. Mike's on the line at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you, Mike. How can we help you today? Good morning. I uh, live in the area of thirty second and. Camelback, and for years we had a beautiful tree. Uh, it was a tangelo tree in our front yard, and 
I think we pruned at the wrong time of the year and it died. And so we're wanting to replace it. It's a grass area. Um, I don't have a direct drip available, but given it's grass, we water it about three times a week. Our landscaper is recommending a couple trees, and I, I don't know if they're the right ones or not. So I'm asking you guys your um, recommendation. One's a fruitless olive, and the other is a jacaranda. I don't know. All right, we'll take the break to think about that. A fruitless olive, jacaranda, or our own recommendations for Mike's replacement tree at 32nd Camelback here at Rosie on the House. Welcome back to Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition for 31 years. We are talking trees with John Eisenhower. Uh, I was just saying Integrity Tree Service, but it's Integrity Tree Service Save a Tree. Integrity Save a Tree. Integrity Save a Tree. And uh, our promotion team is out today at Marvell Masonry in Mesa. If you've got a hardscape project on your to-dos, it's a great opportunity to get ideas, get inspiration, see what's available, uh, take the time to design it right, have a nightscape with it so you can enjoy that. There's a lot of times in Arizona, especially when we get the summer heat, nighttime's the only time it's really enjoyable to be outside. Marvell's got some Mother's Day gifts also, some plants, I believe. They do. They are giving plants away to mothers for Mother's Day. That's 1113 South Country Club Drive, just north of the 60. On the right-hand side, if you're heading north, east side of the road, stop by the Rosie on the House Sanderson Ford Transit Vehicle for a number of also promotional items as well. That's at Marvell in Mesa today, 7 to 2. They'll be out there till 2, and they've got uh, 12-month interest-free financing that they're offering through Bellgarde. If you can't make it to Mesa, that interest-free financing is good today at any of the seven locations throughout the state. But let's get back to Mr. Mike, who's working on a tree replacement. Uh, you had a couple minutes during the break there to weigh your options. I know it's hard to recommend the perfect tree, but maybe just through all the things that you consider deciduous, non-deciduous, uh, native, non-native, fruiting, non-fruiting. Yeah, the two uh, trees that were mentioned, the jacaranda and the fruitless olive tree, are both good choices. I, the olive tree is going to be a little slower growing, but they're an elegant sort of, a, I mean, great for a lawn setting uh, in that mesic, uh, uh, wetter uh, in, uh, landscape environment. Uh, the olive is just one of those uh, perennial favorite trees. It kind of has that... that <laughs> sort of a legacy look um and they're just a, a great a great choice i don't think you can ever go wrong with an olive tree the uh the jacaranda can be a little bit more temperamental they are a little frost sensitive in the early going they are deciduous but they can be a little harder to get started uh and maybe a little more um demanding in in, in terms of their um just nutrient demands in our native soils. They might need a little bit more fertilization from time to time. They're a beautiful um, uh, blooming tree, a nice flowering tree, and 
for that reason, they're they're pretty popular here in, in in this area. They are from southern Mexico. They're more of a tropical, so uh, uh, not as adapted to our climate as the olive trees, which are a little bit more uh, uh, drought tolerant. But both good choices um, for a, a, a lawn setting. And one of his questions is: Is it too late to plant? No, it's never too late to plant. If depending on the the exposure, you know, if you've got a southern or a western exposure, and you've got a a, a more delicate ornamental uh, tree and not a desert tree, you might have some sun issues. The late afternoon can can blast away at those new plantings. But no, it's it's always a good time to plant in Arizona. Our soil temperatures are up, and uh, again, depending on the type of tree you have. Um, this is 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 uh, is probably a fine time to plant. You know, occasionally people will put a little shade shade structure up. You know, just to drape a little shade cloth over the trees, just to get them through the spring and summer. Fifty fifty shade cloth allows a little bit of sunlight through to keep photosynthesis active, but yet it protects it from that intense afternoon sun. And then you can just pull that shade cloth off in September October and. And that tree should be well on its way to, to getting established. Does that answer all your questions, Mike? Yeah, it sure does. Thanks, guys. I'll uh, plant away and give you a full report in the fall. And pictures. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. And pictures. You got it. Best of luck. You got it. Thanks, Mike. We have uh, <clears throat> Ryan and Ronnie, both from the Southeast Valley online. We will get to them after the news break. I'm going to shoot you through a couple uh, text questions that have come through. We talked about thinning and somebody wanted to know if that worked on citrus. We were talking as it related to stone fruits, apples and peaches. And Absolutely. You can thin your citrus trees. Uh -huh. If you are have one of those trees that just has an abundance of fruit and you end up picking it up off the ground and a lot of cleanup like your sour oranges or even some lemon trees and others, you can certainly do some thinning early, and and if you if it's a desirable uh, uh, tree for uh, edible fruit like a, a tangelo or a, a, an orange or grapefruit, uh, thinning can you know improve the size of the remaining fruit on the on the tree. There'll be less less fruit for the tree to be supporting, and therefore those tr those fruits should be a little bit larger and 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 uh, and and yeah, better size. And like you had mentioned, uh, it helps prevent breakage. Now, citrus produces on old wood where stone fruits are on new wood, so that's not as critical. Mm -hmm. But you can still get a loaded-up citrus tree that we get that, a that lot, could break a lot of branch breakage with lemon trees. Absolutely. Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking trees with Rosie on the house. And if you got bugs eating your trees, especially if they're edible fruits and you want to knock them out with something that is all organic, Bonide has the solution. It's Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. It's an all organic insect control. You can hook it up to ready to spray bottle. Just hook up your hose, spray, turn on the water, spray down your tree, and you're good to go. It's so organic and safe. You can actually apply and, and then harvest your fruit right after that and eat the same day. Bonide products are family-made in America. You can find them at bonide.com or around the state at retailers, including Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, Treeland Nursery in Mesa, or any of the Summer Winds Nursery. That's Captain Jack's Bed Bug Brew by Bonide. Trusted since 1962. Family-made in America. It's labeled for spider mites, John. I know you're going into your spider mite segment here. You can handle spider mites. With dead bug brew. 
Yeah, we wanted to focus, you know, each month on on a, some of the the pest issues that we that we have in our landscape, or pest or or disease problems. And the one I want to focus on right now is the spider mite. Spider mites are little microscopic. Um, I mean, you can sometimes see them with the naked eye, but it's a little pretty difficult. Um, they get into all sorts of um, uh, plants and landscape, and they're very commonly in our conifers here in the in the low desert, on our cy- Italian cypress, junipers, arborvita, and but they can get into other um, uh, agricultural crops and into um, other uh, ornamental shrubs and and trees. But they uh, are uh, an arthropod. They they actually are little little spiders. Like they're actually mites, but spider-like mites, and they have a piercing mouth parts, and they uh, use those to suck the sap out of leaves, including the chlorophyll, uh, often resulting in kind of a dull color uh, to our plants. It sometimes is the kind of telltale sign when we start to see our Italian cypress go from that nice brilliant green to a kind of a dull gray color. We um, m- uh, can know right away that uh, spider mites are probably active. You can also sometimes see a little webbing uh, between the leaves, and the, the spider mites use that webbing to uh, to travel from leaf to leaf. And they uh, generally are uh, enjoy the dry, dusty conditions we have in, in, in our desert communities. So some of the cultural controls is to keep your your plants of course well watered and actually to spray them down you know weekly if you've got some trees or plants that are susceptible to um, spider mites maybe a weekly forceful spray of water uh, would be helpful and be sure to uh, concentrate on the underside of the leaves where the mites tend to uh, um, congregate and that'll help to kind of keep the uh, those populations down you know, if mites are like many of our garden insects are, they're not very harmful until their populations get to a certain level, and you don't want to be um, uh, overreacting and 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 uh, using pesticides unnecessarily if they're just a, a small populations that you can control with, uh, like a weekly spraying with water. Uh, but the uh, you know, once they get, you know, to a certain uh, uh, place, you might want to consider even using an insecticidal soap, maybe horticultural oils. And finally, there are some miticides that are um, uh, have been developed that, that can control um, heavy infestations and outbreaks where uh, you're, they're threatening to defoliate your plants or um, overrun your yard. And we've seen some really heavy infestations where uh, you know, multiple trees in a yard, multiple Italian cypress are affected, and uh, those populations are so heavy that they can threaten the uh, the life of the plants, in which case it's better to probably uh, bring in a, a licensed spray tech who can come in and spray them down and get some control. The problem with the, the miticides and any kind of um, heavier um, products is you're, you sometimes kill the, the beneficial insects that are in your yard. There are predatory mites, which um, also are affected by those miticides, so you don't want to control those and if you don't need to be uh, using those heavier uh, chemicals. Miticide. 
Let's get and you guys have a licensed chemical applicator that works with Yes, we have a plant healthcare division. Yeah, absolutely. We have, we we can uh, do those applications and and uh, help get some control if you've got some of your Italian cypress or junipers or arborvitae that are looking a little bit weak. Uh, look at them closely. Uh, we we do what we call this, you know, the white paper test. If you'd suspect you might have uh, spider mites because they're so small, um, uh, we sometimes will, you can, one, look for the webbing, but uh, two, you can take a white piece of paper underneath some of the foliage and then shake the foliage over your paper. And if you look down at those little specks of dust, they're not little specks of dust if they're starting to crawl around. You'll see them starting to just crawl on the paper. And if that's the case, you definitely have spider mites, and it'd be uh, good to uh, take some action. As I said, starting out with a, a forceful spray of water, sometimes that's enough to control them. Um, otherwise, you might need to give us a call and have somebody come out and, and, uh, and have an arborist look at them and give you a, a, um, a, a treatment plan. Let's see how we can help Ryan and Chandler at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Ryan, good morning. And I don't know what happened. We just accidentally... Hung up on Ryan. We'll call him back. We're going to bring uh, Ronnie into the conversation, also in Chandler. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning. I have a question about a hydrangea. I got one for Christmas, put them in the ground. It looks great. It's growing. I notice when it gets hot, the leaves kind of curl up. Is he eventually going to die in summer? Well, hydrangea does need a, a, a protected environment. You know, it's a... It's a does need a little bit of protection, especially from afternoon sun. If it's in a, a, a full sun setting, it it may have a difficult time making that transition into our hotter weather. In fact, this winter or this last week, we've had a, a beautiful kind of reprieve from the, uh, the the hotter temperatures we saw a week or two back. Uh, but it looks like next week we're back up to 100 degrees, and uh, some of those more sun sensitive plants will have trouble um, surviving. We've got a some uh, 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 what do I say? Be, not begonias. We've got some begonias in our front patio, which do great through the winter months. But uh, as the sun starts to set, um, we start getting that late afternoon sun hits that front patio at our house, and and uh, we uh, generally those uh, all those uh, those flowers begin to suffer uh, for those last few um, those early early um, summer months. So. Yeah, it's it's you I, don't overwater it. You know, t, uh, you know, try to be careful that you know, people often think that you just got to make sure we give it enough water, and you end up um, exacerbating the problem. But yeah, give it a, a try, and and hopefully, if you can shade it, maybe in that late afternoon, maybe it'll. The the secret to its success is for it to get rooted into the native soil. Once it's got its own, you know, its roots are established in the native soil. It'll it'll uh, it'll survive, but you've got to get it through that transition period so it can get established on its own. And if you got to protect it from the afternoon sun with a little shade cloth, maybe you can do that. Good luck. We appreciate the call. Let us know if that helps keep your hydrangea looking a little bit uh, a little bit stronger. We're going into our obviously our hot season, so uh, you can't can't take it for granted. It, that's uh, you go stand out there in the direct sun for four hours, and let me come back and check on you and see how you're doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really nice. We do have a lot of uh, tropicals and and uh, semi tropical plants that do really well here if they have a little bit of a sh- shaded environment. In fact, a lot of people plant them underneath their trees 
and the trees provide just that little bit of filtered sunlight to, to allow some of those um, those more exotic plants uh, do well here in Arizona. It's beautiful to see the wide variety of plant life that uh, people can um, enjoy here uh, just with that little bit of added sun or uh, protection from the sun. Now, you had mentioned, uh, as we're going back to Ryan, we got him back on the line, but as we get there, uh, Texter wants to know the name of the farmer's market you had mentioned earlier. Did you mention a farmer's market? Yeah, it's a market on the move. It's really not a farmer's market. It's really a, a, a distribution center for uh, distressed food items, and every week they've got a, n- a new set of uh, amazing produce, They and they allow you to, to take 60 pounds of produce for only $10. And it's a it's a nonprofit organization, and they've got all sorts of outlets. If you look up Market on the Move, it'll show you the uh, dozens of locations across uh, Phoenix and Tucson uh, where you can. Um, and, and it's actually a, a further north too. I think there's a, a farmers market up in Prescott now, and other places across the state. But look on their website, Market on the Move, and it's a, a, a great place to to buy some produce especially if you've got that dehydrator and you can process. <laughs> and you can process. You know, we're uh, we're going to be breaking out the canning. It's been a while since we've canned. But uh, I hear the peach harvest at Schnepp Farms right now is primo. So we're going to load up. Probably not the pricing that you're talking about, but it's uh, this is mm. straight off the tree family No, picking. that's really nice up there. Yeah. And uh, there's also Apple Annie's that will be soon and Wilcox. Mm-hmm. It's a couple of great places where you can go pick them here locally as well. Let's get back to Ryan. Welcome to the program. Thanks for calling in. Sorry for the trouble earlier. How may we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Um, to the spider mites, I've been fighting those for three weeks on roses, and water blasting them off seems to work really well. Well, good. That's what they were, you know, they were saying if you if you persist, you know, they'll eventually go through their life cycle and be gone. But it's it's uh, if you let those populations, you know, continue without any uh, without any uh, uh, efforts to, uh, at control, they can spiral out of control and get ahead of you. But, yeah, that's good every week if you can. Uh, so what have you actually been doing? Just uh, taking a, a just a hose and spraying? Have you been using any insecticidal soap or just water alone? No, when I started growing roses, I did use miticides several different times, but I found that just using a water blaster, which sprays the underside of leaves, yeah. I'll do that two to three times a week. I had several that almost nearly defoliated, and they're coming back. They have new growth now with this cooler weather, but um, water is all I use on my roses right now. That's great. And is this the first year you've you've had uh, dealt with them, or is this something that occurs every year? No, I have I have over 150 roses, so I deal with them every year. Um, yeah. And through the summer, I spray, I spray off two to three times at minimum per week through the summer. Usually, when it gets hot, they kind of they're less active. But um, yeah, I use it I use it completely during the during the summer to keep them away. That's great. That's an encouragement to uh, listeners out there who are also battling um, spider mites, and appreciate the uh, the encouragement and the the uh, the story. Um, good luck with your roses. Sounds like a, a nice little uh, 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 array of roses. You've got 150 plants. That's quite a few. Yeah, it keeps me busy. But my question is actually about a Hong Kong orchid. Um, mm-hmm. I've had this tree from in my yard for probably over 12 years. And it's always doing really well. Um, and I know that it's frost sensitive, um, but this year I've noticed that I have almost no new leaves. 
I went last weekend. I drove around the neighborhood, and I, I see other uh, people with Hong Kong orchids are in the same situation. Is is it a d- disease that's going around, or is it just the cold weather, and it's just taking time for them to get the leaves set back on? It put out some flowers, but not very many. Well, you know, I notice that some years when the deciduous tr- when we have a mild winter, the deciduous trees and they might some refer to them as semi deciduous because they will sometimes uh, uh, retain their leaves if they don't if it doesn't get cold enough. But sometimes the uh, trees like the Hong Kong orchid will will hold their 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 leaves from the prior year all the way through the winter. And then as they turn the corner into spring and put on new leaves, they dump them all at once. Whereas if we'd had colder weather early, earlier in the winter, they, they, they would have started um, uh, dropping leaves uh, 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 more regularly at, and, and at regular intervals through December and January and into February. Um, and... I've just noticed that several of the of of our semi deciduous trees that held their leaves dumped them all at the same time, and they're pretty bare right about now. So that could be what's happening with those uh, with your orchid trees too. But yeah, it's interesting that you've looked around the neighborhood and seen the same thing happening with those other trees. His bark and bite—they're about the same. Talking trees with John Eisenhower, Rosie on the house. Continuing southeast, we're going to pull into Florence, right into Brian's home, and see how we can help him this Saturday morning. Brian, welcome to the broadcast. Good morning. How are you today? Um, I appreciate you being there. I have two acacia laurel trees I planted in April, and uh, they're right now, they doubled their size already um, from a foot and a half high to three feet high. Uh, um and on the very tips of the trees, the fresh growth, something is eating it. And it looks like the new leaves have bites taken out of them. I can't find anything underneath the leaf. Um, it could be a, you know, a mite or something like that eating it. But it's, it's eating the very tips, every single tip of both trees. And uh, what I've tried so far was just using an insect repellent, you know, like what you spray for mosquitoes, um, repel, natural. And uh, what that does is just gray my all the leaves. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's stopping this. And I'm wondering what I can do. I want these trees to grow. And you mentioned it's an acacia laurel? Acacia laurel, yes. I'm not sure. They have long, slim leaves on them, and I was told they will grow very large um, and create shade. Yeah, I'm not sure the species you're referring to. I'm not familiar with that laurel. Um, There's a lot of acacias, um, and I don't know. I'm looking it up right now, and I'm I'm not seeing anything. Um, I wonder if you— That was the name on the tag of— where the nursery where I bought these, uh, it was near Casa Grande Nursery. Well, it could be, um, yeah, it, it could be a a um, a variety of of an, but maybe that's not the species. That could be the variety, and and uh, I'm just not sure. You've left the uh, you've got the uh, genus Acacia, but you don't have the the species um, correct. That laurel is probably a variety of another type of a uh, of a 
an acacia species. But yeah, I'm not really sorry we can't without putting eyes on that. You know, we do have a, um, a an incredible staff of certified arborists uh, that that um, are out across the valley every every week. So if you um, if you'd like to give us a call, maybe one of our uh, arborists could come out and take a look and 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 put put their finger on what uh, what's uh, what that problem uh, is. Many, Dave, stay on hold for us. I don't know that we'll get to your call here in this segment because we're going to cover pruning, our last to do on our April, our excuse me, May's talking trees monthly to dos. We've got uh, monsoons coming. Yeah, May is our really our uh, the best time of, of of year to be doing heavier pruning on your more vigorous tree species, like your mesquites, your eucalyptus trees. Uh, and the reason we target May and June is because uh, you're you're waiting until the trees are as full as they can be uh, prior to the uh, winds we get in July and August. So it's a good good time to be um, marking your calendar every year, May and June. We do a lot of, of, of pruning of our larger trees uh, during those two months because it gives you the uh, better bang for your buck, so to speak, because if you do a lot of pruning early in the season— uh, you know, right after the new year, uh, you know, by the time uh, the the winds come in July and August, the tree has replaced a lot of the foliage that we've removed. So, uh, you know, that's a, our, why we uh, aim at May and June as as the, as a months uh, the months to do monsoon preparation. But yeah, get that that pruning done on all your trees and shrubs. It's a great time to to get out in the yard. In fact, maybe even this weekend uh, while the temperatures are still holding, and get out there and do a little trimming. If you uh, are wondering really what to do, if you've got some questions about pruning, uh, we've got a, I have a class I'm teaching next Saturday morning, uh, or actually Saturday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Desert Botanical Garden. You can go on their website at dbg.org and sign up for that class. I think there's a few seats left. Uh, It's a great class. I've been um, teaching it there for going on nine years now, and it's a uh, a, a fun class, hands-on. We've got to do some uh, pruning demonstration, and then I uh, allow the students to actually participate in a pruning exercise. And um, really, uh, it's a lot of fun. But that's this coming Saturday, May 18th, from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, you, you just need to go to the uh, Desert Botanical Garden website, dbg.org, and uh, sign up for that class. And uh, then you can go out with confidence. That's my goal is, is at the end of that class, I want people to be able to take what they've learned and actually go out into the garden and, and uh, feel confident in being able to make a pruning cut and, and know that they're doing, doing right by the tree. And, and to contact Integrity Tree Service? itreeservice.org. I'm so, no, <laughs> itreeservice.com. I, just the letter I, treeservice.com. 